0: This podcast is part of the Podcavern Network. Check out other Podcavern shows at podcavern.com. Today, Moth confronts some loose ends. If you're new to the podcast, you could check out the archives on the website and listen to the episodes you've missed. The address is in the show notes. You don't have to, of course, but this is the kind of story where details add up. Welcome to the thirteenth episode of The Moth Collection. The Moth Collection Episode Thirteen In Another Kitchen Carisi was at her kitchen table, intent on getting the rice just so on the seaweed sheet, when the woman with the grey-flecked red hair sat down across from her. A sweetish smell, subtle yet somehow piercing, wafted over that of the fresh vegetables strewn about the table, for a short moment by Kiri's reckoning, and then was gone again. Kiri was surprised, perhaps a little perturbed, but not alarmed, even after the woman asked her point-blank about her son's behavior. His behavior is fine, she answered amiably enough, but she shifted in her seat. She did not recognize, let alone acknowledge, the tension suddenly rising within her, connecting threads of herself that she no longer knew about, and pulling. She felt it, however, diffuse. Uncomfortable. He's in school just now, she said. She sniffed after the evanescent fragrance, discreetly, trying not to look like a beagle in a curly wig. Kiri thought she recognized the smell. There was something familiar about the woman as well for the matter of that. Too familiar, in fact. She suddenly had the mortifying thought that she would know what the woman looked like naked, which was insane and more indicative of her own non-existent love life than anything else. There it was, the tension. She hadn't looked at a woman in that way in too long, and it was starting to manifest itself in embarrassing fashion. She placed slices of salmon, cucumber, and avocado on the bed of rice, began to roll the result on the bamboo mat, and breathed. I'm sorry. I seem to have forgotten your name. Moth. My name is Moth. I am, in fact, from the school. Your son has been difficult for a number of days. This was news to Kiri, but she took it in her stride. The boy getting into scrapes was hardly an extraordinary occurrence. The name, though. The name. I'm sorry to hear that, she said, working hard not to babble or stammer. A distant part of her mind was wondering why she wasn't pressing this striking woman on that bizarre label. Why she didn't feel the need to ask about a first name. Why Moth seemed complete of itself. An even more distant part was hearing her son warning her about strangers showing up and asking about him, and telling her to be ready to fight. None of these concerns made it to the surface of her consciousness. Jamie's a good kid, Kiri went on, reaching for the knife and setting about cutting the sushi roll. But Hesa had a rough go of it, young as he is. If you're from the school, you know this already. She hesitated, then pushed on, mocked. The syllable felt delicious on her lips, and how queer was that? "'I'm Carisi,' she said, struck at the coquettish tang in her own voice. "'Call me cutie.' She looked at the woman with intense curiosity, working doubly hard not to stare. She was in her late fifties, or possibly early sixties. Conventionally beautiful, Long natural red hair, hence the gray strands, elaborate makeup, athletic build, a sort of severe but stylish gray-green suit. Extremely pale complexion going by the lightly lined neck and the hands. Interesting yellow eyes. Apparently walked with a cane, which she'd set down on the floor next to her chair. Not exactly Kiri's type. And a bit too old, to be sure. But damn. Oh, I'm actually new at the school. I'm afraid I wasn't made aware of the details of the file. Moth sat back and pressed her hands to her thighs to keep them from shaking. Kiri was feeling uneasy because her unconscious was fighting both the washing and the containment blur to retrieve information that had been artificially hidden deep at the bottom of her brain. But Moth knew exactly where she was, who she was looking at, and what she'd risked to be here. She wasn't on a job, and she might be out of a job if this thing went south. She took no notes, there was no brief, no op would be joining her. And Flea, who had found out where Kiri was drying and set up this slide-ride, was risking even more, bless his heart. She marveled at the depth of loyalty she elicited from her colleagues. Of course she wanted to see Kiri. Call her that. Don't slip up. Moth wanted to make sure Kiri was all right as she lived out her last years in this division she'd chosen for herself. Her last years? (sighs) Life at the net truly had a way of framing things in apocalyptic terms. Kiri was fifty-one years old. She was fifty-one and looked about ten years younger. She had a number of years left. Moth drank her in, discreetly, as Kiri neatly laid down the sushi pieces on a wooden board next to a dollop of wasabi. She'd kept in shape, not unusual, most retirees did, and her figure still had the round, slightly stocky, small-breasted swimmer silhouette that invaded moth's sleep every other night. There was only the merest hint of grey in her brown curls, but that had been there already when she left, not so very long ago either, by moth's reckoning. The same nutmeg eyes, the groomed eyebrows, the tawny complexion with the pinkish spots about the cheeks, the straight teeth, the laughing mouth, the large, hooped earrings. Kiri had lost the nose ring years ago. Not one spot on this face, on that body, that moth hadn't kissed ten thousand times over fifteen years. The marks on her neck were worrying. They looked like chafing wounds, or perhaps burns. They couldn't be the same ones from the attack on Net House. Those would have healed by now. Several scenarios suggested themselves, and none of them were palatable. Moth should not have been here. It was expressly forbidden in her contract, but she was nearing retirement herself, and what were they going to do? Fire her? Ha! Huh. Let them. Anyway, there were the dreams. Moth was here because of the dreams. Dreams of this woman living here, in this house, living in this house with Jamie. Well, those dreams weren't just dreams. Couldn't be. A connection, yes. The world's trying to tell her something, absolutely but not a product of her mind. That was confirmed now. She wondered if both the washing and whatever containment blur the house was under would be enough to get Kiri to start talking. Perhaps she would also be nudged along by a little of the love that still existed between the two of them, and which must be simmering at the bottom of Kiri's soul and not too far from the surface of her skin. Kiri smiled in that shy way Moth hadn't witnessed since those first few meetings at Net House. She took another sheet of seaweed, laid it on the mat, and began a fresh batch. This time with strips of tuna. Then she looked up at Moth, and there was something brazen in those brown eyes, and the redhead felt as though she'd walked naked into an electric fence. Look. Mort. Chances are we won't agree on what to do about Jamie. You need to understand, I'm not too concerned about him. Well, I mean, I am, very much. But not when it comes to whatever silly pranks he's pulling at school tantrums, or talking back, or not wanting to let go of his teddy bear. I called the principal about that. We have an understanding, so I hope that's not what brought you here. Kids can be complicated. And poor Jamie's world has changed a lot in the last year, mostly on my account. We're doing well enough together now. But we can talk about it, if you like. I'm willing to talk. We can talk about... <sighs> lots of things. She smothered a little disbelieving laugh. I was just about to make tea to go with this, she went on, gesturing at the meal taking shape on the table. But, well, I've got a bottle of really good sake that I keep chilled for, for no reason I could discern before. I swear, I keep mostly to myself since the accident, you see. It's pretty much only me and Jamie these days. I love my son, but a six-year-old is not much of a drinking partner. She blushed. I shouldn't be so flippant. Makes me sound like a terrible mother but having a a grown-up in the house. I've missed that. She blushed even deeper, and concentrated for a moment on cutting the roll. This is really forward, I realized. Navigating this moment was ticklish. On the one hand, this was turning into a date, which Moth had never even considered a possibility, let alone something to hope for. On the other, Kiri was in real danger, and Moth could not afford to lose sight of that. On the third hand, as Butterfly used to say, Moth was in danger herself. As flirty as the younger woman was being, she still had pocketed the kitchen knife as though in a trance, the move so swift and subtle, Moth had only seen it because seeing things like that was her job. Moth laid her palm on the lower right pocket of her suit, over the reassuring curves of her seer. What she wanted to do was jump over the table and kiss that woman like they were still at home. What she said was, I don't mind, forward. She didn't try to be subtle about it. Trying to be subtle with her own wife would have felt too weird. I love sake, particularly chilled. I'll drink with you. You can tell me about the accident. Maybe I can help. Consider that moment. navigated. Kiri's eyelids fluttered. She laid the finished pieces on the board and arranged them properly. It's strange the school sent you without really briefing you first. She noted with a grin as she pulled the sake and the soy sauce out of the fridge and drew two small ceramic tumblers from the cabinet over the sink. I'm not saying it's a good job, said Moth. Kiri laughed. That felt fantastic. There was a CD rack on the counter, beside a small player, and just under a few photos of Kiri with a young boy in a white and blue sailor suit holding a one-pawed teddy bear. That was a nasty jolt. Moth didn't know how she felt about that. Whatever else, there was longing and jealousy and resentment in it, and it put a damper on things. She stood up and thumped through the disks. The washing of Kiri's mind was apparently as competent as could be expected, Scattered through the blues albums were a few recordings that Kiri would never have thought she liked were it not for having been married to Moth for so long. She pulled out one jewel box. "Pavane pour une infante défunte, by Ravel. The later orchestration, not the original piano version. Influenced, yes, but still her own woman. You want to put that on? Kiri asked. She was pouring the sake and the sauce. Then she rummaged through a drawer and produced two pairs of chopsticks. Do you mind? It's not too melancholy? No, it's beautiful. I've always liked Ravel, as far as I can tell. Kiri was holding out one of the tumblers. Moth took it with a nod. She put the CD in the player, pressed play, fiddled with the volume, That horn solo. Plaintive. Honest. They drank. Kiri hadn't been kidding. It was superior sake. The younger woman sat back down and had a piece of sushi. I say something like that and you don't react at all, she said, puzzled but amused. Something like what? I've always liked Ravel as far as I can tell. You're not actually from the school, are you? Moth took another sip of sake, let it roll around her tongue. Tell me about the accident. About Jamie. About your life. Are you happy here? Kiri drained her glass in one gulp. She refilled it, She helped herself to a second piece of sushi and indicated the board in a gesture that meant, Have some, or I'm eating the lot. So, Moth did. Kiri observed her as she ate. There is something happening. Kiri spat all of a sudden. I'm not an idiot. I know that I know you. But my brain is... (sighs) This conversation is like a dream like wading through treacle she sighed her anger already abating massaging those worrying wounds about her neck she waited for a further contribution from moth when it became clear that none was forthcoming kiri went on i'm not unhappy i suppose not that i've had much time to be anything at all of course it's only been a year since the accident and my memory doesn't go anywhere past that. I know a few things about myself, but... Events? My life starts in that hospital bed, with the doctor telling me that my son is okay, and a Jamie running into the room and hugging me. Do you remember the accident itself? No. I lost control of the car. So they tell me. Break anything? Only in my mind. Bumped my head. Lost my memory. Not a scratch on Jamie, thank the Lord. The doctors have explained that I was a gym teacher. I even went to visit the school where I worked before. Jamie came with me. Moth's eyebrows wanted to fly to the ceiling, but they stayed right where they were. What about the father? He's dead, apparently. Don't remember anything about him. Does Jamie? Kiri shook her head. He died not long after Jamie was born. Moth nodded. She was beginning to see just how much of Kiri's current reality was the result of a discrepancy intercepting her at just the right moment. Whoever he was, Kiri added with a pointed look, he must have been just the convenient thing. She lowered her head and looked at Moth languidly. Her tone became both playful and bold. And unless I've completely misinterpreted our whole conversation, you know exactly why. Moth nearly choked on her piece of sushi. Yes, no, no, yes. I think, she said in a strangled voice. It was her turn to blush. Who gets to seduce the love of their life a second time? Still, remember the knife? Kiri was her own woman, but not quite. Anything else? Kiri laughed. The languages you mean? The incredible erudition which seems to come and go? The weird abilities? I can juggle. I can remember twenty digit chains at second reading. I have a frightening throwing arm and astounding aim. I can do archery. And I have a horrible suspicion that I can probably shoot a gun as well as the next cop. Cops aren't the best basis of comparison, said Moth before she could stop herself. I wouldn't know, would I? snapped Kiri. Not anymore. She began smiling again. Moth was starting to see the signs. I'm in better shape than anyone I know. And I'm such a strong swimmer, I sometimes think I used to do it competitively. I mean, I keep at it, obviously, but I woke up like that. I realize I'm supposed to be a gym teacher, but it all adds up to a feeling that I'm a bit overqualified." Hmm, mumbled Moth. Don't push it, said Kiri, her smile starting to look forced. I like you an awful lot, Mort, Way more than I should someone I've only just met which tells me she sighed. Well, it tells me my own brain must be lying to me. And I'll tell you, sugar, I'm not enjoying that idea one bit. So don't push me too far. And suddenly there was a rupture in the kitchen. A forest in winter at night, drifting slowly through the wall and across the table. The moon hidden behind a muffled gray cloud cover pines waited under a thick, glitter-strewn, Disney-rounded layer of snow, the branches swaying lightly, quivering, as though trying to shake off the cold. It was, in fact, snowing. Frigid flakes alighted on their skin, where they melted with a fleeting, burning kiss, and in their hair, where they remained and glimmered a little longer. Moth shivered but said nothing. It would be gone in a minute anyway. The vision was already halfway across the room, snaking along measuredly, doubling back on itself before whispering on. Kiri's eyes had opened wide in childlike wonder. In wonder and yet in something more, something uncomfortable and shrill, buried deep within her and trying to claw its way out. Something elemental. Moth couldn't help but see it as well, and it unsettled her. The day was unbalanced and no mistake. And it was so unfair, because sometimes the worlds did things right. This rupture called to her. During their marriage, Moth and her wife had spent a number of New Year's Eve's in a rented cabin in the Laurentians. In a wintry forest setting remarkably akin to this one. Some of the most beautiful moments of her life had happened among those snow-covered trees. Moth's eyes glistened, and she blinked. Oh my lord, you can see it too, said Kiri. Her shoulders shook minutely. You can see it? Yes, Moth said guardedly, I can A marvelous thing to share with this woman who had been her wife, but would it be worth it if it drove her insane? You've seen something like this before? It's happened a few times, a different one every time. Kiri laughed, the sound innocent yet slightly manic. I thought I was crazy. Moth grinned with the happiness of it in spite of herself and kept the wild disquiet that rose within her unspoken and unseen. Keep her engaged. Keep her happy and calm. You are kind of crazy, she said tenderly. Her hand crept over the table toward Kiri's own, then stopped. Always were, she said, to cover her embarrassment. Kiri looked at her as though she truly saw what was there in front of her eyes. She resolutely put her hand on Moth's. The tremor in her fingers was subcutaneous. Moth felt it perfectly and smiled anyway. Kiri just smiled. Jamie won't be back for another three hours, she said forwardly. I can't imagine that wouldn't be sufficient at our age. We can take the sake upstairs. As they walked up to the bedroom, Moth transferred the knife from Kiri's pocket to between two books on a passing shelf. The unwashed Kiri would never have let her, of course. She would have noticed immediately. And Kiri had been right. She did know what Moth looked like naked, prosthetic foot and all, and three hours was ample time for what they had in mind. They were back in the kitchen, happily tidying up the place together, when Jamie walked in. He clutched at his teddy bear when he saw a moth, and he shrieked. His head melted into cascading water for half a second or so. Kiri blenched, and her eyes rolled back, showing almost nothing but white. She went for the knife, found that it wasn't in her pocket anymore, and threw herself onto Moth like she meant it. She seemed to be going by some sort of shark-like second sight. Moth, who had anticipated that the reunion might turn out in this way, dodged the attack and gripped Kiri's outthrust arm. She stepped back on her right foot, leaving her left foot planted in the way of Kiri's trajectory, and helped her to the ground by grimly holding on to her rotating and letting herself fold down when Kiri tripped and went flying. It was like a dance. She looked into Kiri's eyes, which had snapped back and stared wildly. Kiri was trying to talk, but most of the syllables she managed to get out were nothing but gibberish. A drop of blood was swelling about her left nostril. Jamie, said Moth glancing back at him. The child jumped back, abashed. Let me do this. We can talk afterwards, and I'll listen to anything you want to tell me, but let me take care of her. Jamie's features reformed quickly. His expression made it clear it was an effort, though. Every other breath, a trickle of sparkling water bisected his face like a glittering, living scar. Without waiting for an answer, Moth crouched beside Kiri's prone form. The marks on her throat were very clear now. I love you, she whispered. She put her hand on Kiri's shoulder and made her sleep. Kiri's plaintive gibbering went out like a radio that's been switched off. Give me your seer, said Jamie before Moth even had time to stand up. She pulled it out of her jacket and slid it across the floor. Then she did begin to stand up, but Jamie stopped her by raising her own weapon to her. The other one, too, he said, his tone surprisingly timid. I'll need to sit down for this, you know. When he remained silent, she pulled up a chair and sat down carefully. Slowly, she took off her prosthetic foot. "'making sure he could see everything she was doing. "'He was watching her with some earnestness. "'Next, she unlaced the shoe, "'pulled it off the foot, and laid it on the table. "'Now the latch in the sole of the prosthesis. "'It snapped open with a soft click. "'Moth briefly toyed with the idea of going for a quick draw. "'She might succeed, too. "'Jamie, like Keary, was not quite himself. But then, none of them were anymore, under the cold glare of the truth. Ultimately, she decided against it. Talk first. The boy deserved that, at least. And so did she. Thanks, said Jamie, taking the second seerer with a sad sigh. Can I put my foot back on? Turn out the pockets in your trousers and your jacket, please. He was blushing madly. She raised her eyebrows, but complied. A pen, her wallet, her badge, her compact, a monogrammed handkerchief, joirie, a gift from her wife, and a private joke of theirs. She knew what he was looking for. I don't have one on me, she said. Now may I put my foot back on? I feel very exposed without it. Yes, of course. He held both weapons in one hand. That hand now grew large and translucent, and suddenly the sidearms were encased in ice. Moth pulled the shoe back onto the prosthesis and fussed with the laces. There was a crack and an electric fizz as the searers were crushed under the tightening pressure of the ice around them. Well, Jamie wasn't looking at her now. Moth pushed her stump into her foot and strapped it in place. Then she put everything back in her pockets, by the handful, and Jamie wasn't checking the items off a list. She sat back and looked at the boy as he let the pieces of her seers fall to the floor and stepped over them, timidly trying to come closer to her, but not quite daring to manage more than a diffident shuffle. He hadn't changed much in thirty years, by her reckoning. Except for the hair, of course. That was entirely red by now. Had been for a number of their last meetings. Still slicked over his deathly pale forehead. His and her complexion couldn't have been more alike, she noted for the hundredth time. She observed him in detail. She noted his sparkling aquamarine eyes with the white fire within. His little sailor suit, which had looked perfectly appropriate that day in the park, but now gave him the air of a character in a Lucy Maud Montgomery novel. The way he held his mangled bear before him like a shield. His... Forlorn demeanor. She wished she could go back and put some real joy onto those features. He was still so young, but she wasn't. How long have you been here, Jamie? About a year, as far as she's concerned, he said. About a year for you too, I guess. You know how it is, he added, a little defensively. For me, it feels like a much, much longer time. Why didn't you put the house in a displacement? You know what? Why did you come here? Why didn't you take the house with you? To the in-between places? His features registered such disgust that she let the point go. After a very long pause, he said, She's not really my mother. I know that. But... I have a bedroom here. Would you like to see it? I have other toys, too. She bought them for me. Want me to show you? Perhaps later, Jamie. I go to school. I'm in third grade. We're doing long multiplication. And the French and Iroquois wars. Yes, that's lovely. I can recite La Cigale et la Fourmie. Want to hear it? Jamie. Have you been in third grade since you arrived here? He demurred. Yes, he said, his voice trailing off. With the same teacher? He nodded. And the same classmates? The answer never came. He set his jaw sullenly. She kisses me goodnight. She's a very good person, Jamie. I know that. I am married to her. If she believes she is your mother, she will take good care of you. He looked sanguine all of a sudden. Then you could just go back to your house? Leave us here in peace? She ignored that. Those people in the classroom, Jamie. Your teacher. Who knows who else. You're forcing them to live. Stuck like butterflies pinned to a panel. Do you understand? But even if we leave them aside for a minute, you living here with her, Jamie, it's driving her insane. It's not? You're just saying that to send me back. The poor child. This was the one time he was not going back. Jamie, you know I'm right. Look at her now. Does she look like she's sleeping peacefully? He refused to turn his head. She took one look at you, struggling to stay in your skin, and she started to bleed from the nose. Look at her. He didn't. Moth almost mentioned the wounds on Kiri's neck, but stopped herself. I don't even like her that much, he muttered. Moth Tensed sometimes I wake up in the night. He went on, and I'm a little confused. you know how that happens. I think so, and I don't like the dark. it scares me. I know it shouldn't. I know I'm a big boy, but sometimes it scares me anyway. That's fine, Jamie. There's nothing wrong with that. Kevin found out, and he teased me something awful about it. Kevin? This kid in my class. I don't like him. I get better grades than he does. He stared at the ground. He doesn't tease me anymore. Moth resisted the morbid urge to inquire further about Kevin. So sometimes you wake up scared, she said. And confused, he repeated, as though clarifying that point was essential. Like I'm not sure where I am. Then what do you do? I make sure I've got my bear with me, he said, tightening his hold on the stuffed animal. My bear? That's full of the kisses from my mom. And I walk to my mom's room, and I get into her bed, and we snuggle, and she hugs me, and I can fall asleep again. He trailed off. But sometimes... He eventually began again. "'Sometimes the moon is full and lights her face, and I see it, and... "'And what, Jamie?' "'And she's not my mother,' he said with a sadness, not wholly free of anger. "'Usually that's all right, you understand. "'She's... well, she's who she is. "'She takes care of me. "'She cooks really well, and we go to the park.' Lordy, can she throw a ball, and she lets me take my bear with me everywhere, and it's better than the in-between places anyway. He swallowed, his mouth crinkling sheepishly. He knew he was not where he was supposed to be. His entire body, even his clothes, which weren't fabric, not really, was crisscrossed with lines of running water that appeared on the very surface of him, coursed along for a few seconds. And dried up. How many times have they spoken like this? It never got easier. But when I'm scared, when I'm a little confused because it's dark, and I'm alone, and I'm still a little asleep, it makes me... you know. It makes you what? Jamie. She asked. She thought of the marks on her wife's throat. "'You're going to be mad at me.' She hesitated. "'Maybe,' she said. Her tone hardened. "'Maybe I've let you get away with too much. That's not how you raise a child.' The phrase visibly struck him. "'That's all I've ever wanted you to do. "'I don't want her.' Sometimes I want to... Sometimes I dream that she's gone. That my real mother is here. Jamie, I'm not your mother. I know that! Moth's muscles hardened painfully. Kiri jerked on the floor and let out a thin whimper, but she didn't emerge from her uncomfortable sleep. Moth turned to her wife, gauging her options. Jamie stared at the unconscious Kiri with a flinty glare. When his mouth moved, the question sounded as though it was coming from outside this division, from somewhere deep within the voids. Why couldn't you be a mother to me, Moth? She thought about it for a few days by her reckoning. It was a difficult one, and yet so easy. And now she was screaming. I don't have what it takes! She shouted. Maybe she does! Her voice dropped to a whisper. She tried to stop talking. She tried to stop talking, but it felt like a feat beyond her powers. This was pouring out of her. But I don't. And her. Look what it's cost her. I tried. Every time. I tried to think my way out of... Out of having to... Time and time again I let you go back. You were never supposed to cross back again? How many times did I abandon you to the voids? You came back, Jamie. You always come back. How many times did I risk? Did I not do my job? My job is to... It's... Well, something was pouring out of her. Her spirit leaking out of her. Her integrity... She couldn't stop talking, but she wasn't saying anything. I've lost count, Jamie. She looked at him helplessly. I've lost count. He walked up to her and put his hand on hers. She raised her blank eyes to his. Can we go to the park? He asked. His smile was tentative and hopeful. She sighed and nearly said yes. Going to the park sounded like a pretty good idea, actually. She nearly said yes, then thought of Kiri. She couldn't leave her alone here under the sleep, surely? How did this painful scene just end like that? How long ago was it in any case? Lord, but she felt sleepy herself. There was Such a fog on her. With the feeling that she was pulling her feet out of thick mud, she said, Let's have pancakes. Jamie's mouth opened listlessly, then snapped closed. Something in his countenance made it clear he realized, suddenly, once and for all, that pancakes were as good as he would get today. As good as he would ever get. I'd like that. He said, and with that, the next chapter was reached. Doors opening, doors closing, and the click of the lock. Jamie didn't sound much sadder than usual. If anything, there was a certain satisfied resignation to his tone. Ever had pancakes? She asked, stepping over Kiri as she gathered the ingredients for the batter. Yes. My mother made them often. You like them? Jamie nodded eagerly. But I think I'll like these ones even better, he said. Because, he added in a whisper, pretending to talk to his bear, my real mother is making them. The pancakes made the house smell like a dream, like a scene in a Christmas movie. Moth found maple syrup in a cupboard, which was what Jamie liked, but she preferred her pancakes with butter and a little sugar sprinkled on top. They ate. With each bite, Jamie's eyes grew deep and swirly, like whirlpools reaching down into his soul. There was everything in those eyes. Why couldn't she have been a mother to him? He helped her with the dishes, as much as a child who won't let go of a toy can help. She hit the play button on the CD player, and Pavan started again. The perfect piece for the day. After the dishes were dried and cleared away, they went to the parlor, sat together on the settee, and Moth read the boy a story. To the end of her life, she never could remember what the storybook had been. She just knew that she read it with considerable vim, going so far as to do the voices. He found that marvelous, and laughed and gasped everywhere it was needed. He sat next to her, his bear in his lap, and she put her arm around his shoulders. As she read, he relaxed and pushed closer and closer to her, resting his head in the crook of her neck. His body was cool, and he seemed to have no difficulty retaining its shape. The fabric of his sailor suit brushing on her arm, the silk of his red hair tickling her. It all felt real and reassuring. After the story, he sat back and breathed slowly for a while, a wide, satisfied, glutted smile on his face. She laid the book aside. She never saw it again. She put her right hand in the pocket of her jacket. Her eyelids were heavy. They trembled and closed. She slowed her own breathing to align with his. After 10, 20, 30 breaths, she found that she had the inexplicable impression that Kiri's breathing was also following theirs, and that the three of them were all inhaling and exhaling in unison, for all that Kiri was asleep and all the way across the house. It was a preposterous but compelling delusion. Suddenly, Moth felt Jamie turn and launch himself at her and her fists came up because she was an op and he was not a child and he was hugging her. And the hug was fierce and for another moment she couldn't tell if there wasn't something threatening about it and he held on to her tight and unrelenting and gradually she realized that this was all that it was a child showing love that was a good day he said thanks it's what moms do she said then the object she had been hiding in her closed fist when it came out of her pocket was around his neck She'd been lacing her shoes with a divisional garrote for over 12 years by her reckoning. In anticipation of this moment, really, she couldn't imagine having to do it again after that. Jamie stiffened for no more than a second, then relaxed. Now she was a an knob, and he was a discrepancy who had proved himself an irretrievable risk years and years ago. She'd kept so much off the notes, hoping it would get better. But it never really did, and that was burnt into her brain. It was cut into her soul. Yet, she was also a mother, and what she was doing with this filament at his neck was monstrous. She was driven and drowning all at once. Jamie, bless his accepting heart, never fought it. Her muscles ached with the strain. And in time, she was drenched in the water of him. She stood up, her sodden clothes lacquering her pale skin. There was no brief, no call to collection. She was glad the cleanup crew would never make it here. Jamie would not be getting a proper burial, but at least he would not end up in the catalogue. She stripped, started a load of laundry, and showered. Ninety minutes later, she was dressed and sitting at the kitchen table again. Nearing the conclusion of this now, time to call Flea. That's not actually my name anymore, you know, he said as he dropped his equipment case on the table. We get normal names on the psych team. That is to say, my colleagues go by the birth name. I can't. I don't actually have a birth name. He sighed. But I didn't fancy being called Half Nose either, I don't mind telling you. The name doesn't fit anymore, Moth admitted, putting the kettle on. I'll say. He took a deep, sniffing breath, chasing the almonds. He exhaled with a satisfied grunt. I do miss that smell, you know. We don't get to use the slide very much in the psych department. I've been an op nearly forty years. I've sort of stopped noticing it, she said sadly. The nose suits you, did I ever tell you that? Very handsome. She was surprised to see him blush at the compliment. Did you choose something for yourself? A name, I mean. Oh, yes. He looked happy about it, if a little shy. What should I call you, then? He didn't answer immediately, His gaze became piercing, solicitous but penetrating. You know, Moth, just call me Flea. I like it coming from you. And collection's not around. Neither is the new Flea, for that matter. He grinned. Just take it from me that it's the most brilliantly boring name. She felt old and absurdly grateful. Who's covering for you? Back at the house, you mean? Butterfly, of course. Just a precaution anyway. He won't get in trouble, not that he'd mind. He won't need to do anything, really. No one will even walk by. Everyone thinks launch cap is on the fritz, and 15 minutes after we're back, it will be. The repairs aren't even scheduled for another three weeks. You know how it is. She did. She made the tea in silence, poured it carefully. They drank. It wasn't as good as the sake, but it was pretty good. I think the madness is in her, she said, her voice thin. Yeah, he said. Yeah, it is. You can tell. Can you do anything? Yes, but can I do enough? That's the question. He shot Moth, an encouraging half-smile. Wives, huh? He said, his face suddenly so jubilant she almost burst into nervous laughter. Oh, that's right, she said. You got married too, didn't you? His smile widened and retained much of its goofiness. Best thing ever, but they're a handful, you know. Moth's gaze floated tenderly over Kiri's slumbering form. I know, she said. She always did tend to bite off more than I could chew. He guffawed, downed the last of his tea, and sobered down. This kind of mercurial disposition was not the exception among Ops. She needs to be rewashed, also treated for trans elemental trauma. In theater, and while making sure collection doesn't hear of it. We're taking quite a risk here, Moth. If I hadn't come, the discrepancy would have killed her. He seemed dubious. He was a good man, was Flea. I guess, he said. She shook her head with some determination. No guessing involved. Nothing but time. This morning I saw a rupture here in this very room. She had gestured around. It might have taken a few centuries, but he would have eaten her eventually. Spider was right on this point. I'm not happy about it. It goes against the gospel. But she was right. She was almost convinced herself. He seemed on the verge of quibbling, bless him. Then let it go. Yeah, looking at it like that, it's kindness, really. He opened his case with a smart click. I'll do what I can. I have a few procedures I've been developing. New approaches. Even Collection doesn't know about them yet. Her manner suddenly changed. She became reticent, as though she was about to ask a favor and thought it inappropriate. Can I? She said, and stopped. Flea looked at her uncomprehendingly. With no little effort of will, she stammered on, Before you. before before you start, may I? She directed an insistent look at her wife on the floor. The penny dropped, and Flea cursed himself for an idiot. Of course, he said, flustered. He picked up a blinking doodad at random and stepped out of the room. What a strange woman she could sometimes be. Moth waited until she heard him reach the parlor and sink into the sofa. There was the sound of a television set being switched on, then that of a flickering carousel of channels as he tried to find something worth watching. Almost anything was interesting when one was out of one's division, of course. She wiped at her eyes. She knelt. She'd watched her wife sleep before. She'd always been the hungry one. Without a word... Breathing shallowly, she marveled at every curve, at the breath of textures, at the profusion of colors on that dormant body. In her mind, she heard Kiri's voice and remembered a lifetime. She traced the wounds on Kiri's neck and felt the push and pull of her anger and her love for the boy. If only. If only. There was a nervous tick working at the corner of Kiri's eyelid. Who knew what her dreams were like in the sleep? She stroked Kiri's curly hair as she had done earlier in the day on their last date. It had been a good date. Then she put her mouth so close to Kiri's ear that her lips brushed at her wife's earlobe. You take up all the space I have left in me, she said, the syllables coming out slowly. It's different for you. I understand that. You're retired. you were able to retire. That's fine. I know you loved me. It's just different for you. She looked at her watch. Listen to me, she whispered. In three years, a movie adaptation of The Lord of the Rings will come out and it is going to blow your mind. You won't believe your eyes. It will make you so happy. I wish I could see it with you for the first time. You won't know it, but you'll wish you could see it with me. Have the best life. You gave me mine. A light kiss. I love you, Cicada. I love you. She lurched out of the room. She went upstairs, locked herself in her wife's bedroom, and prayed. She prayed for her soul, and for Cicada's soul, and for her son's soul. She prayed for her friends. She prayed for the people of the voids. A rush of moments came to her, and they were all in it. Cicada, two butterflies, three fleas, a spider, a collection or two, Madeleine, Eleanor, Father Sébastien, and Jamie. Or at least the idea of him, the shape of a family. And then... Kneeling at the foot of her wife's bed, with the scent of the three of them rising from the sheets, she gave herself permission to sob. It took Flea more than two days to complete Cicada's rewashing, and another three, by Moth's reckoning, to contend with her incipient trans-elemental madness to his exacting criteria, He worked fast and with an aplomb that verged on the placid, but the list of tasks which he kept in his head was formidable. At first they carried Cicada to her bedroom and placed her on the bed. Within a few hours, however, they had borne her back downstairs and laid her on the kitchen table to give him room and preserve his aching back. He circled her for hours on end, more like a fly than a flea, and poked and prodded and took samples and shone lights into her unresponsive eyes. He used devices powered by tiny atomic reactors. He used wooden instruments designed in the fifteenth century. He took pictures and he chanted. Moth never left the kitchen except to go to Jamie's room, which she was transforming into an extra study and to purge the rest of the house of the boy's presence. At the end of every other wash cycle, Flea stepped back and let Moth walk up to Cicada, kiss her cheek, put a hand to her shoulder, and make sure the sleep was serene and fathomless. She also fed her, kept her hydrated, and took care of any attendant waste. Flea could have done all of that, of course, But he knew Moth was working toward the last station of of a sort of pilgrimage. In a way, there were two patients in the room. Furthermore, from a professional point of view, he appreciated Moth's skill with the sleep. It was beautiful to see. Not all theater ops had the knack, regardless of training. Eventually, Flea straightened up, stretched and began to put everything back in his case. Moth set a plate of sandwiches next to Cicada's foot. They sat at the corner of the table. Moth had found beer as well. I could tinker with this forever, Flea said between bites, but she has to wake up at some point. Moth swallowed, but she hadn't touched her sandwich yet. The washing's good, said Flea. Scratching the nose medical had made for him. It was a good nose, and Flea was grateful for it. Back home, the cling moss that had eaten much of his face had meant he could smell nothing, taste nothing. The net had given him back a whole new sense, as well as a life. His own sandwich was already gone, so was half his bottle of beer. Because, thanks to Moth, who'd rescued him twenty years ago, it tasted fantastic. The washing's pretty good. Better than what we're doing right now at the house. I went off protocol a bit. I didn't think you'd mind. Anyway, she won't remember this. Sorry, Moth. You know it's necessary. And I scrubbed the discrepancy more or less entirely. He took another swig. This is a useful trial, you know. I'll publish some of these new techniques in the coming years. Once it passes the committee, I'm confident we'll get them implemented housewide. A few more closed doors for the discrepancies, should they try to infiltrate the net again. Moth put her hand on Cicadas. She fancied that the fingers curled a little against her palm. The madness, she said. Is it gone? You can't hear the madness, Moth, he said. You know that? He tried to hide his bafflement. That he wouldn't even have to say this that he should have to disappoint her when she knew better. But I did push it back down more than I thought possible. I brought it down to nightmares. He clicked his tongue. Love made people, even a woman as composed as Moth, cling to silly notions. Those will be frequent, though. And they'll be bad. I'm sorry. Moth squeezed Cicada's hand. You did your best, she told Flea. The gratitude in her voice sounding almost servile to him. And your best is better than most. Her voice didn't quite break, but it fissured somewhat. Help me get her back to bed. The bedroom was spotless. The sheets were clean, and so was Cicada. She wore pajamas, colorful and freshly pressed. Moth had seen to that. Her wife slept more peacefully now that Flea was no longer sticking things in her ear. The sleep would gradually become sleep. Moth took a deep breath. She wanted to see her wife's eyes. There was still so much she wanted to tell Cicada, but the truth was, none of it would have been new. She bent down and kissed her. Those lips. Oh, those lips. The minutes changed. Became stretched. Filiform. Flea cleared his throat. Better go, he said. She's on the timer. Moth stood up dry-eyed. She leaned on her cane and hugged Jamie's one-armed bear to herself. As are we all, she said. This is Vincent Lozon. I hope you enjoyed this penultimate episode of the Moth Collection. If you did, tell people about it. And tell them to start from the beginning, thank you very much. And come visit the website, which has a bunch of fun things and extras. The address is in the show notes. We're nearly done here. We're nearly done. The Moth Collection is written and read by Vincent Lauzon. Production by Transuranic. I hope you'll be back in two weeks for the final episode of The Moth Collection. Tefera Jemian, host and producer on the Yeah Podcast. Join Yeah as we dig into young adult literature, reviewing new releases, revisiting old classics, and exploring what YA Lit can teach us at any age. Discover the world of YA Lit through exclusive author interviews, book reviews, genre smackdowns, and more. The Yeah Podcast. Available in the Pod Cavern, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever else you find your podcasts. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah!